watching Inside Automotive with Jim Fitzpatrick. Good morning, everyone. Jim Fitzpatrick. Thanks so much for joining us. Another edition of Inside Automotive right here on the CBT Automotive Network. We're so happy to have with us Liza Borges, Carter Meyer's CEO. This is a young lady that you have seen all over the industry. She is a great thought leader and spokesperson for our industry. So, Liza, thank you so much for joining us once again on our show. I love being here, Jim. So good to see you. Great. You too. Let's kind of jump right in here. Uh, Carter Myers has picked up dealerships in the course of the last year, and uh, you've got so much going on. Last time we spoke, we, you told us that you were going to be doing a little bit of a deep dive in terms of the customer experience. We want to know how that's going. And then talk a little bit about the way customers are dealing with this sticker price situation in showrooms that many dealers are saying, hey, here's the price, love it or leave it. And if you don't want to buy it, we got somebody right behind you. So we want to get your take on that too. So talk to us about first and foremost, the expansion of Carter Myers. Yeah, I'm so excited to share. Um, we are now up to 20 dealerships and, and went wow. uh, for the first time into a new state. So we're into West Virginia. The previous dealerships have all been in Virginia and uh, broke over a thousand associates now in our company. Wow, um, congratulations. Thank you. It was an exciting time. You know, the, the auto group that we acquired back in November, um, I actually met the owner when I was their Honda rep back in 2000 and 2001. Wow, that's and pretty cool. It was, you know, I think it goes back to many uh, things that we've talked about here, Jim, about how important relationships are. Yeah, absolutely. And every acquisition that we've done so far has actually been relationship-based. And so that's great. Uh, the, the current owner or the previous owner was um, looking to exit. It was time for him for health reasons and family reasons. And sure. the COO of the organization had been there as the Honda uh, general manager when I called on them in the early 2000s. So... We all had a great wow. relationship. We were able to make something work that would be best for their associates. Um, keep the their culture was already in line with CMA, so it was really a super smooth transition. Sure. And so we brought their stores in. It was our first Toyota dealership, and I have to say that has been a pleasure to get to know the team uh, at Toyota, and they've been wonderful. Yeah, to work great with. franchise. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. A Toyota is a great company and a great franchise to have, no question. I'm an old Toyota guy myself and couldn't find a better company to associate yourself with. They just do an outstanding job. They're always top in the, you know, the, the uh, survey among dealers that are out there. So it's great. Uh, it's a great yeah. franchise. I will say it was, it was complicated and interesting as we tried to get five OEMs. There was like eight pieces of property, two different states, two different deal wow. boards, and get everybody to close on the same day. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. Toyota was the only OEM that we didn't already represent, and they really stepped up and made sure that sure. it all went super smoothly. That's fantastic. Let me ask you a question. You know, you've had so many successful dealers, at, you know, dealerships already in Virginia. Um, what makes the, your yourself and your board sit down and say, let's pick up this this other dealer group? It's more, you know, it's more associates to your point. It takes you to a thousand. And it's more rooftops to worry about. Are you ever at a point where you go, hey? Enough's enough. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people ask me that, my husband included. <laughs> um, but I do believe that as we see the consolidation happening in this industry and we see the players like Lithia expanding at a rapid pace, yeah. if we don't grow at least in a relative amount, there is going to be a point where we are not relevant <laughs> and uh, okay. we may not have the scale to be able to compete for the competition from our OEMs, from our vendors, mm -hmm. the rates that we get from our banks. 
Um, all of that comes into play to say, how can we compete to make sure that we can still offer the consumer what they want in the future? We need to be able to invest in technology and better processes sure. and better partners. And you have to have some size in order to be able to move forward in those spaces. Um, right. So we are definitely looking and continuing to acquire stores. Um, we want to be a regional impact player over the next decade. I don't mm -hmm. anticipate that we're going to be looking nationally. I think mm -hmm. we can do what we need to do in the mid-Atlantic area region, maybe the five states in the space. So that's where we're focusing right now from an acquisition standpoint. Okay. And I would imagine there's more Myers to, to, to enter the business in the future. Oh, I don't know about that. My kids um, are 13 and 16 right now. Um, we'll see where their interest goes. My son did sure. uh, work a little bit in the dealership this past summer and, you know, they've helped out at different events, but uh, no right. pressure. You know, my dad never pressured me. It, it was probably the best approach and we'll see right. where it goes. I still have a long runway, so we'll worry about them later. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. They, you don't want them pushing you out anytime soon. But uh, let's switch gears out here a little bit and talk about, you know, the consumers that are coming into the showrooms now, as we know, are greeted with the salespeople that say, hey, here's the car. You're lucky to get the car. This is the price of the vehicle. It's either sticker price or above in some markets, in some cases. Um, you know, it's, it's substantially above, you know, I've, I've heard of 10 and $15,000 more for Mercedes Benz or Lexus or what have you. And I'm not picking out any dealerships and certainly this isn't relative to your, your group. What is your take on that? What are your concerns about that? Obviously the OEMs have kind of jumped in on, on that too, to say, Hey, yeah. you, you know, these are the same consumers we're going to want in our showrooms a year from now. And they've got, you know, long memories, right? Jim, this is a very hot topic and one that's near and dear to my heart. In fact, I was just on a call with two other dealers this morning debating this topic. And, you know, there's one side of the coin to say this is market driven. This is how an economy works, supply and demand. Sure. I, I tend to fall on the other side of, of the debate. I believe that mm -hmm. this is a long term game. It's an infinite game, as Simon Sinek says. And mm -hmm. the, ac the actions that we take today will absolutely affect the types of relationships that we can have with our consumers in the future. And what we yeah. talk about at CMA is that in the next 10 to 20 years, I believe that consumers are going to have more complicated transportation decisions than they've ever had. And yeah. our goal, our mission is to be their trusted advisor, whether they're mm -hmm. looking at alternative fuel and, and moving to an EV or others, whether a yeah. shared service subscription, whether it's autonomous, maybe it's a flying car in 20 years, but these decisions are things they haven't been faced with. Right. If we want to be that trusted advisor, our actions today are absolutely going to impact our ability to have that relationship five and 10 years from now when the demand uh, and supply might be in a different situation. So we've That's taken right. the stance as a company from the beginning of this that we do not have just uh, market adjustments on any of our vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, there is some conversation saying we probably are losing, leaving profits on the table. But I believe that that's going to allow us to have the best retention numbers as we move out of the situation. This situation is not going to last forever. And yeah. we might be giving up short-term profits right now. And there are a lot of dealers that fight me on this and tell me I'm crazy. But I believe that if we don't stand in our core values and, and, and the mission that, that we have every day at CMA right now when times are good, there's right. no way we're going to stand in it when times are bad. So right. we have right. stayed strong. I understand the OEM's concern about the significant markups that are happening. If I was sitting in their seat, sure. I'm not sure how I would approach it. I, I don't think um, 
I don't know if the the stick approach and the penalties is the best way, but we do need to have some open conversations between dealers and OEMs on how we handle right. this demand and supply so that it is a win for the customer, win for the, the dealership, a win for the OEM during this right. strange and uncertain time. Right, right. And and I agree. I agree. I'm as you know, I've been in the business my whole life and, and uh, it, it's concerning, you know, I, I look at the situation and say, is this really what we want to do? You know, during the gas crunch, you know, we were selling Toyotas and, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, we were putting all kinds of extras on the vehicle. We'd charge $300 for, for pinstripes and, uh, you know, wheel covers that cost us a hundred bucks, we'd charge $500 for, and we were getting it because it was a shortage of Toyotas at, at a time that gas was, you know, through the roof, you know, back in the eighties. Um, but but this seems to be a little bit of a different scenario today, and uh, and it is concerning for the OEMs. I've spoken to a number of them, and they said this is a this is an issue that uh, we hear a lot from our consumers directly. Uh, speaking of directly, we don't want to pave the road for a direct con to consumer experience for OEMs to right. pick up and say, look, we we're almost forced to do this because you're killing our brand by not taking good care of the customer or treating them you know, the right way when they come into the showroom to buy our new Lexus or Toyota or Mercedes or whatever the case might be. And we're not so big on that. You know, if we're going to charge $45,000 sticker price, we, that's what the consumer should pay for it, you know, I mean, not 55000 I think a really good conversation that could come of this is to say, we watch when OEMs see that dealers are starting to make a lot more money. They start looking at where should I pull back? Where Where's the money that maybe between floor plan assistance and hold back and, and different areas, and they start shrinking their margins. I think yeah. we should have an honest conversation to say, how can dealers be better partners on maybe not doing these market adjustments, but can we get the commitment from the OEMs that while times are good right now, if they start pulling back our margin, when times get tough, we're gonna to be stuck. So, right. so maybe there's some give and take here where, where we agree to, to, to not be doing things that are bad for the customer relationship, which in yeah. my opinion is adding these market adjustments on, and that the OEMs will stick with us and continue to give us support and margin now so that when things are a little bit tougher, that's in place to help us move forward. I think there needs to be some give and take because um, we're hearing some of that chatter on the OEM side that dealers are making a lot of money. Where can we start pulling back mm -hmm. our support? This sure, time is sure. not going to last forever. Right. That's right. That's right. Hey, speaking of which, in these market conditions, is it surprising to you to see how many people are willing to come in, sit down, pay sticker price for a car and order it? I mean, the days of ordering, we thought we're, we're you know, you had to have, uh, you know, a three or four month supply of vehicles because everything's spot delivered. And, and yet consumers now, it seems they're coming in and they're OK with ordering a car. Is that pretty much what you're finding there at your stores? We are. And I love it. If yeah. there's anything that <laughs> if there's anything that we could do to create a better relationship with our consumers in the future is to be able to spend time in a really consultative mode going mm -hmm. through what they want, get them the car sure. that they that they really desire, and then when they come in to pick it up, we're done. There's no negotiation. It's a celebratory moment. We're able to deliver right. the car in a place that we can spend time going over the vehicle with them before they leave. I mean, we couldn't ask for anything better. And I, I think that if, if consumers are starting to get conditioned that this is a great way to buy a car, to order it, mm -hmm. to plan, and then take delivery, I think it's going to be best case for the franchise system for the future, for consumers. Now, we also have to be prepared for those consumers that do need something quickly, though. I mean, there, there are things that happen, sure. accidents, uh, significant repairs needed. There are times where you need a quick vehicle. Right. 
And right. I do see some of the OEMs making some adjustments, it looks like, for the future where we'll be able to pull vehicles from port on a, a quicker timeline. So I think there are several solutions that could play out here where we can support the consumer that needs a vehicle right away, while mm -hmm. also having a really great process for customers to order. All the data sure. says that I think going forward, we will start seeing a significantly higher uh, percentage of vehicles ordering. Right. Right. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And a lot of dealers that I've spoken to have echoed those same sentiments that you just did. Uh, they enjoy it. They, the consumers seem to enjoy it. And uh, like you said, it, it also uh, brings on a much more professional sales approach rather than the, you know, the hurry up, put your hand on the car. This is it. You're taking delivery of it. It's sit down. What color seats did you want? What kind of interior? What kind of things do you want in the vehicle? And makes it more enjoyable for the customer. While it's not there that day to drive off, the consumers are understanding that now, right? I think it's one of the best things that could happen for our industry is to have a yeah. hybrid approach. So we, we're pre-ordering a good amount, True. some that we can get within a couple of days and having vehicles on the, on the ground because consumers do sure. want to drive the vehicle. Um, not everybody, but there's still a large percentage that do want to touch and feel, even if it's not the one they're going to buy, if they can right. touch and feel something similar, then they feel more comfortable ordering. That's right. That's right. Um, in, in terms of a daily supply of vehicles, what, what do you, if, the, if you're all of your manufacturers called you today and said, Liza, how many vehicles would you like us to have on your lot at any given time? What do you think that magic number is so that we're not killing each other as dealers in competition and we're pressed to sell these vehicles because the floor plan is running high and there's just lots and lots of uh, cars out on the, on the lots? Yeah. Um, what, is that, what is that magic number? I think right around that 30, maybe 40 day supply is the right number. Um, you know, I think about how our OEMs do, uh, in most of them, give floor plan assistance for 30 days. That's the turn that mm -hmm. I think they would like to see as well. Um, mm -hmm. We should, it, we are anticipating and know that rates, floor plan rates are going to be going up in the future. So I think if we can stay right around that 30 day supply, it'll fit perfectly into that model I just shared where maybe 40% of the vehicles are pre-ordered for several months out and another couple percent uh, that they could get within a week or two and then maybe half that we could keep on the lot. I think okay. a 30 day supply would allow us to have enough vehicles to show, to drive, to order from uh, mm -hmm. and to, to help that customer who needs a car today without allowing expenses to get out of line. And, mm -hmm. and even, you know, I'm looking out at our large lot right now that's very empty. As, as we start thinking about the future, what facilities look like, if yeah, we can stay right. in that 30-day supply, it really sure. will change how we can approach uh, the facilities that our dealerships are in in the future. The very, very good point. Very good point. So switching gears a little bit, but not that much because we're talking about the customer experience. Last time we spoke, you wanted to do or you were implementing a deep dive into the customer experience at CMA. Talk to us about how that's going, what you found, and, and what's the direction moving forward. You know, I, I while we were doing a deep dive then, I don't think we've ever not been looking at it seriously, right? There's always things that we can be doing. Um, sure. We've mainly been focused on the service department, actually, uh, over the last four months since you and I probably spoke about this. Um, mm -hmm. Last year, we focused on the sales side to make sure we, we had the right communication to our customers who were pre-ordering cars, staying in contact with them through that process, making sure they knew about finance options well in advance of, of their vehicle coming in, that sort of thing. Um, and, and then the commitment to not having markups on our vehicles. I think all of that lent itself right. to a, a stronger sales customer experience. Mm -hmm. We've now been focused on the on the service side. In fact, every service manager in our company has, has made a commitment uh, every month they're having several hour training sessions. They're deep diving into mm -hmm. our phone skills. 
um, the walk-arounds, and then how do we use technology in our service lanes for mm -hmm. this purpose? We need the technology to create a more efficient experience so that when we are able to talk to that person in, in person or on the phone, we can mm -hmm. use that time to create a deeper relationship. So I keep mm -hmm. telling our team, we're not going to just load experience or excuse me, technology into our service departments for the sake of technology. The mm -hmm. whole purpose has to be, let's speed up and create more efficient processes in the areas technology can handle. Then mm -hmm. we need our humans, our service advisors in particular, right. to be able to properly connect with our customers, whether it be phone, text, in person. So that's where our focus has been really in the service side. Our service managers have been diving into the technology that we have to make sure we're utilizing it uh, in the right way, that it's integrated for efficiency. We've been retraining every single person in the company on phone skills. Um, we, we just, you know, you, you focus on it and then you, you take your foot off the, the accelerator and you, you realize that some of your processes drop. So phone skills have right. been a very strong focus for us the last few months and then integrating the technology even back into the shop for efficiency purposes for our customers. That's fantastic. And, uh, and certainly more people are, you know, bringing, coming back into the service department. I tried to get my vehicle serviced just the other day and this was around the, uh, the 3rd of uh, February. And they said, the first opening we have is the 28th of February. <laughs> what, the 28th of February? What, Jim, that, is, uh, that is such a great point because it is challenging for every dealership right now. Yeah. And one of the things when you look at our acquisition strategy, we like to have three to five dealerships in a market. And yeah. we've used that to our advantage right now so that mm -hmm. we can move customers around, we can move technicians ah, around. Nice. So yeah. that, for example, our Hyundai dealerships with the engine issue, I mean, they're backed up two months. But if we have wow. someone coming in for an oil change and we have a technician over at our Kia store that is capable of doing that, we can simply tell the customer no problem, we take them in. So we've been That's trying great. to really utilize the scale of technicians across our stores. Uh, yeah. Also talking about cross-certifying technicians. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in the past, we would do that sometimes with sales associates, but we kept technicians pretty specific to their brand. Sure. But some of the express technicians, we're looking at doing some cross certifications so that we can move people around where the demand is because a customer cannot wait for weeks or a month to come no. into your shop. That is no. not a recipe for success. So we no. are very focused on what else can we do to make sure that we get those customers in. I'll finally, right. I'll mention on that point is we've launched a technician um, apprentice program, a formal program. In the past, mm -hmm. we had lots of informal ones. And uh, we hired a full-time recruiter just for technicians. Wow, that's um, great. We had, last Friday, we had 22 uh, students from the local school in shadowing our technicians for the day. I was that's loving fantastic. seeing a handful of uh, women, girls, uh, who were oh, in yeah. there as well. We've hired more apprentice technicians in the last four months than we have in the last couple of years. And that is really to get them trained and to be able to do that express work so that people like you who are trying to come in for an oil change are not having to wait. So yeah, that's a huge That's part. fantastic. Congratulations to you on that. You're growing your own and, uh, and not just waiting for, you know, the technician down the block to come over to your store and then, you know, apply for a technician's job. And you got to pay usually all kinds of bonus money and guarantees and, you know, uh, signing bonuses and such. So uh, that's great. That's a great way to attack that. And uh, so kudos to you for doing that. And, and certainly having an auto group the size of CMA allows you, to your point earlier, about, you know, having something to scale. Uh, that helps, right? As a small, if I had two or three stores, we couldn't have a full-time recruiter just right. out there working for technicians. She's out yeah. across the state of Virginia and West Virginia every single day in schools, talking to guidance mm -hmm. counselors, mm -hmm. talking to students. We're having a parents' night next week uh, in our That's Richmond great. stores. And, 
you can't do that when you're a small group. So right. you're right. That's right. just another great reason to continue to scale and also for career paths to make yeah. sure that we're getting the best of the best talent and that they see that sure. there's a lot of room to grow. Sure. Any more acquisitions on the horizon in uh, 2022 for your group? Uh, nothing that I can share, but we are okay. always on the, the lookout. <laughs> we have a couple of sure. opportunities that are in front of us and sure. just trying to make sure that they're the right ones uh, for our organization. We, there are a do, lot of factors you, that we look at. You kind of fill the holes and go, oh, we don't have that store. We need that franchise. <laughs> we are very intentional. Uh, yeah. I, like I said, we've never purchased a dealership or a group of stores from a broker calling us. We've been yeah, very yeah. Uh, proactive in reaching out to dealers that we think could be a good fit for us that are the right yeah, franchise, the right location, and even have the right culture. They mm -hmm. may not be at the at exactly like us, but it, we, we look for opportunities where their culture could add to ours and we could add to theirs versus a, sure. something that would be a counterculture. Sure. Well, speaking of culture, you have done an incredible job. You're kind of the gold standard out there in building a culture. Your people, I've interviewed a number of them, store managers and such, and, and um, just I always walk away so impressed with the, uh, the degree of enthusiasm and knowledge uh, and concern they have for customers. It, it's very, very impressive. Kudos to you for putting that together and maintaining that uh, you know, for as long as you have. And uh, it, it's really a, you know, a job well done. I know that I've spoken to other dealers and they've actually brought up, you know, Carter Myers as, as, as an example to say, you know, well, we kind of want to get like to the point that Carter Myers is at where all of the associates feel like they own the joint and they're concerned about the future and they take good care of the customers. So, well, Liza Borges, president and CEO of Carter Myers Automotive Group. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. We very much appreciate it. I know our dealer viewers get a lot out of your visits. So thank you. Thank you, Jim. The culture is the soul of the company and we're gonna to continue to grow it. So I appreciate your kind words. Great, awesome, thanks so much. Thanks for watching Inside Automotive with Jim Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick, Pash, Kane, Lewis, Greenfield, Reed, Dawson, Lopes, Rice. The best lineup in retail automotive. CBTnews.com. Subscribe today.